Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. Good morning, church. I pray that you have been led to worship, that you've had a good time of worship, and that your mind has been drawn to heaven. I know I've already been greatly encouraged this morning, and I pray that you have too. We're going to be in Romans chapter 4, and starting in verse 13. So today we're going to be talking about Abraham, and that second to last song we sang, I actually hadn't heard of before, but that line, you're the promise, you're the keeper, that's kind of where we're going to be at this morning, talking about God always keeping his promises, and how that draws us to grow in our faith towards him. So that's kind of where our minds are going to be looking towards right now. We're going to see in the life of Abraham, in the book of Romans, Paul showing how Abraham's life is the proof of God always keeping his promises, of God being faithful. Our main idea for this morning is going to be that faith grants the wonderful promises of God, not perfect adherence to the law. So, getting into our text, starting in verse 13, we see, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So, if you know anything about Abraham, you know that God gave him this command to leave his country. And through this God is going to give him this promise that if you leave your country, if you go where I tell you, then these things are going to happen. We're going to look at that in a little bit, but something I want to mention before this is that Paul had been talking about Abraham for the first half of this chapter, and I'd encourage you to go back and read these, this first part of this chapter. There's a lot of good stuff in there, but it answers a question that I think a lot of people have had and something that my pastor had put forward this question of, in the Old Testament, were people saved by grace 
or by the law? Is salvation by grace through faith a new thing, or was it in the Old Testament? Were the people of the Old Testament saved by grace through faith? And this chapter 4 here, the first part of this kind of breaks that down. And it talks about the circumcision, and it talks about how it asks the question, was Abraham justified before or after this circumcision, this symbol of the law? And it says that Abraham was justified and his faith was counted to him as righteousness before the circumcision, showing that before this showing of the law, that Abraham was counted as righteousness by his faith. We see that by faith, by grace through faith, was always the plan. We see that this was always God's plan for his people. We see that it was never just Abraham being this amazing person, this perfect follower of the law that saved him, that counted him as righteous. It was always by faith. So, we see in verse 13, Paul refers to this promise. So, I think to understand this promise more, we need to go back to the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, we see the call of Abraham, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, this was before his name was changed to Abraham, so for the sake of consistency, just to make it easier, I'm just going to refer to him as Abraham. But it says, Now the Lord says to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see here, God tells Abraham this, this he gives him this command to go from your country Go from where you're used to. Go from this place of comfort where you're familiar with and go to a country that I will show you. And something that's interesting about this to me is that he doesn't tell him where he's going to go. He doesn't say, okay, Abraham, I want you to go this place. I need you to go here and then I will bless you. He just tells him to go. God doesn't give him an exact command. He doesn't give him an exact go here and then do this and then do this. He just tells him to go. And Abraham chooses to go with no information given to him. He chooses to go trusting that God will show him what he's supposed to do. And this is how it is with us. I'm sure oftentimes we wish, man, it would be so much easier, God, if you just sent me writing in the sky saying that I need to do this, I need to go here. We see that God doesn't do that. We see how God chooses to reveal his will for our lives. He just tells us to go. He just tells us to be faithful where we are today, and he will show us where it is that we are to go. And we just need to have faith that if we go, if we're doing, if we're being faithful with God, what God has given us, that he will show us the way. And that's what Abraham does. With no information, he chooses to go. And we see through this, God gives him this multi-part blessing to him. He says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see God tells him that he's going to be on his side. The ones who are with you, I'm with. The ones who curse you, I'm against. We see that God is going to make him a great nation. God's going to build from him 
this country, this great nation that is going to be his people, the people of Israel. And we're going to see that through in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We see that this is not only talking about Abraham and his family, but we see that it says all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we're going to kind of look at what that's referring to later on, how through the line of Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But we see God gives him this command, tells him to do this, and if you do this, I will bless you. So we see that God tells him, I'm going to make you a great nation. But there is a problem with that, and that is that Abraham has no children, and even later on in his life, he will still have no children. When he is 100 years old, he still has no children. We see that there's this problem, not necessarily, not a problem with God's promise, but a problem that Abraham sees. He sees, you know, God, I still haven't had any children. I still, where is this great nation coming from? We see that even with all of that doubt, even with the stuff that Abraham knows to be true, he knows that he shouldn't have a child at his age, he still remains faithful to God. He still trusts in him against all doubt in his mind, against all belief that what should and shouldn't be possible, he still believes. So in this first part, we're going to see that Abraham's promise was not granted to him by the law. Kind of this idea of salvation by grace through faith, not salvation through the law. We see the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the worlds did not come through the law, but through righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So we see two reasons here why it's not the people who follow the law that get this promise of God. We see two reasons here. We see that it's not the promise of the law, the promise that God the promise that God gives Abraham here was not given to Abraham just because he was this amazing guy that did everything perfectly and he was this super Christian that never did anything wrong. If you look through the story of Abraham, you will see over and over that he fails. We see that his life is characterized as being one of faithfulness, but we still see that he's human and he falls short of what God wants him to do. So, we see here that God's promise was not dependent on Abraham following the law perfectly. And there's two reasons for this. We see first that if it's just the followers of the law who receive the promises of God, that faith is null. This means faith is pointless. Faith is out of the question. Faith does not, faith would not be the thing that's bringing the promises of God. It would be null. We see here this is kind of what the Pharisees were thinking. They were super confident in themselves. They, were, they had all this confidence that, you know, if I follow the law, if I do all these things, that God will bless me. And they, had, they were so good at following the law that they even made up their own law that they followed. They, they were really, really good at following the law. But even through that, we see that through their, their confidence in themselves, that they had no faith in God. They didn't truly trust in God. They had all this pride about themselves, 
they had so much faith in themselves that I can do this, I can follow the law, I can make myself good enough for God. And we see that through that faith is null, they had no reliance on God, even though they could never follow the commandments of God perfectly. And I think we do the same too. So often we can compare ourselves to other people and say, well, maybe I do these things, but I'm not as bad as this person that does these things. We often have the same idea of, okay, well, maybe I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as this person, and that should be good enough. We see that the standard is not the people around us. The standard is not, oh, well, I'm better than this person, and this person does this, and this person. We see that the standard here is the standard of God, the standard of God, how well God follows the law. And when we put it, that into perspective, we see how completely pointless it is to try to follow the law on our own. And that's the second part of this, the reason why it's not the followers, the perfect followers of the law that receive the promise is that if that would be the case, the promise is void. If the promises of God only went to the people who followed the law, then no one would receive it. Then no one would get this promise. Then Abraham would not receive the promise that God gives him in Genesis 12. We see that if it's only the people who are good enough, that none of us have it. We all fall short. We are all utterly hopeless of receiving favor from God in our own power. And this is the problem with the Pharisees. They're trying so hard to follow the law, and they believe themselves to be good enough, but they fall short, and we do too. We utterly fall short of pleasing God in our own power. We see here that the promise of God was granted by faith. Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness, not perfect following of the law. Now we see that following the law is not, it's not a bad thing. Obviously, following the law is something you need to do, but you can never do it well enough. We are completely hopeless of following the law and pleasing God through that. I heard a good example of this from my pastor. He was talking about doing this, this competition between, if I, would, if I were to do a competition with me and a Olympic long jumper. If you know the, the sport of long jumping in the Olympics, if you watch the Olympics, you know that there's a guy that runs up this long runway, and then when they get to the end, they jump and try to make it as far as they can. And trying to follow the law on your own is like if I challenged a long jumper to a competition. And it's not going to be a normal competition. It's going to be a competition to see who can clear the Grand Canyon. So I'm going to get ready. I'm going to, I know I'm at a bit of a disadvantage. I'm not that good at long jumping. I've never tried it before, but you know, I'm going to get my best athletic shoes on. I'm going to get ready, stretch a little bit, and I'm going to take a few steps back and run and try my best. And when I get to the edge, I jump and I give my best jump. It was a really good jump. The best one I've done so far. The best one I've ever done. I try to clear the Grand Canyon and I fall short. I don't even come close. It's not even close. Now this Olympic long jumper is going to come and he's going to show up and try his best. And he's way better than me. He is already prepared. He 
takes his jump, and he makes it much further than me. He definitely beats me in this competition, but he still falls short. He's still not even close. And this is how it is when we compare ourselves to other people and try to follow the law. We don't even come close. But that's why it's great that there is a better way, that there is faith. Now we see not only how the promise is guaranteed, but who guarantees the promise. We see that Abraham's promise was guaranteed by the only one who could. We see verse 16, it says, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. We see here the God that Abraham believes in, and we see two things about this God, that he gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So we see two things here about God, and these things, God bringing life to the dead and God speaking things into existence that weren't there, we see two things here. We see, we see the power of God. We see that God is powerful to do these things, and God has the power to grant Abraham's, the promise that he gave to Abraham, that he is the only one who has the authority and the power to do this. So I think oftentimes we have trouble trusting God with what's going on around us. We look around us at the world and we, we, don't think to, we don't think that God is really in control of everything around us. When we're seeing wars going on, when we're seeing leaders that we don't like, whenever, whatever it is, we often just get beat up about it, we get discouraged, and we don't realize that God has always been in control. We see that God can speak into existence things that do not exist. This makes us think of creation where God spoke and galaxies were created, where God spoke and life came on earth. He breathed life into Adam. God spoke and there was light and there, were, there was the universe. If God's words can create galaxies, then why don't we think that God can speak and just... God can speak and destroy nations. He can take down leaders if he wanted to. If God has this power, then why don't we think he has power over some nation? Why don't we think that he has power over politics in America? Why don't we think that God has power over the situations in our life? If God is so powerful that we believe that he can create galaxies with just his breath, then why don't we think he can control the world? Why don't we think he's in control? we see that we find it much easier to believe that God spoke and creation was formed instead of God is in control of my situation right now. We also see that God gives life to the dead. We see here not only that God is powerful enough to bring the dead to life, but we see that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, that we were utterly hopeless as we've talked about earlier that we were utterly hopeless to follow the laws of God, that we could never live up to the standard, but God can give life to us. God gives life to the dead. God can 
God can change our heart, tear out the heart of stone, and put in a heart of flesh. We see that only God has the power to bring to change our hearts, to bring us to life. We also see that Abraham's promise reveals the nature of our promise from God. We see verse 18, it says, talking about Abraham, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. We see here that Abraham's knowledge of God, what he knew about God, he calls to calls things into existence that didn't exist. He brings life to the dead. We see that Abraham's theology about God, what he knew about God, is what allowed him to have this faith. He knew that even though there's no way it should be possible for him to have a child, there should be no way that this promise should be possible. He believed that God was so much more powerful than, than anything that he could see. And so even with that, even with all of his doubts, he still believed in God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. We see that is why, verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We see here that... Abraham's promise brings clarity to our promises from God. It shows that the promises that God has given to us, this new covenant, is we see that this promise is not guaranteed by perfect following of the law. We see that we can't be good enough to receive God's favor. And we see that God is powerful enough and good enough to follow through with his promises. We see that if we believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, we see that if we believe in Christ, that our faith will be counted to us as righteousness, just as it was with Abraham. We see that Abraham's promise was a covenant and not a contract. A contract would be the idea of, okay, you do this and I do this, and if either of us breaks it or doesn't hold up our end of the contract, then the contract's over. Then the other person doesn't have to do their end of the bargain. We see that God's promises to us are covenants. We see that even when we can never hold up our end of the deal, that God is merciful and God is graceful and he extends, he extends this grace to us. He still keeps his promises even when we never could. We see here that Jesus was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We see that Christ died for us so that we could have justification, so that we can be made right. Even though, and this is something that's really crazy to really think about, even though we could never be righteous, and I don't know if any of us would be able to confidently say, yes, I am righteous, 
It's kind of a, a big statement to make, saying, yes, I am righteous. But even though we could never hold up our end of the bargain, even though we could never follow God's law perfectly, we see that believing in Christ Jesus, God sees us as righteous. Even though we are sinners to the core, even though we have always been sinners and we will sin again, that God sees us as righteous if we have faith. Now, to kind of define faith, my pastor gave me a really good definition of faith. Faith is belief that changes. It's belief that changes. It's not just believing in God, because we see that even the demons believe in God, but they don't have faith. Faith is belief that causes us to completely shift our focus, to turn our eyes to God, and to fall in love with him, and to repent and turn away from our sins. So we see that Abraham had faith in God, he believed in God enough that he would do what he said, that he decided to go. Faith in Jesus makes it as if we had never sinned. So how do we have this faith that Abraham did? We see first that we lessen our trust in ourselves. Abraham looked around at his situation and he said, there's no way I can do this. He said, he looked around at his situation at the fact that he was too old to have a kid, and he was like, there's no way I could do it. There's no way that in any of my power that this promise can come true. And this is not defeatist. This is not him resigning, giving up, but it's just him acknowledging the truth. It's him saying, I can't do this. So he, he lessened. He didn't trust in himself. We need to stop trusting in ourselves so much and stop trying to solve things in our own way and instead fully place our trust in God. Second thing we see is that we look back on how faithful God has been, whether it's through people like Abraham, whether it's through our lives or through Jesus Christ. We look back at God's entire history. We look back at how much he has been faithful, at how long he has always held his promises, how long he has always been good to us, and we look at God's history, we look at what God has done in our lives, and that stirs us up to faithfulness. It stirs us up to trust God deeper. And we, fi we finally see that the way we have this faith that Abraham did is that we have a big theology about God. We see that we need to understand God more, we need to learn more about God. Because when Abraham had doubts, when Abraham struggled in his faith, what he did was he looked at God. He looked at what God has done for him. He looked at who he knows God to be, and he used that to maintain faithfulness to God. He used that to stay trusting God. We see that this faith that Abraham had doesn't excuse us from good works, but we see that it's actually a springboard to good works. We see that it propels us forward. And as we learn to rely less on ourselves and more on God, on the God who created us. Faith without works is dead, just as good works without faith is worthless. We see as we learn more about God and we see how he has always been faithful and has always kept his promises, our faith grows. This faith that has the power to move mountains. This faith that can lead us to tell everyone around us. This faith that endures every trial that is thrown at us. Let's pray. Dear God, 
I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this text, this text of Romans, and I thank you that what it shows us about your promises, what it shows us about how you have always been faithful to us, that you always keep your promises, even when we never could, God. I pray that we have been stirred up this morning to trust you more in any circumstance, to know that you are powerful enough and you are good enough to remain faithful, to stay in control, and to do what is best for us. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.